How about if you take your Bible this morning, turn into a familiar passage of Scripture, one that you're certainly aware of and you probably have already read as you stand 1 Kings in chapter number 17. Sometimes one of the preacher's greatest plagues that gets on him is, is that he's preached a passage before and the Lord lays it on his heart again as if there's nothing new in there and you preach the passage and you're thinking, well, I've already preached that. I'd like to preach something different. But there's so much in certain passages that are salient, that stand out, that are uh, recognizable for us, that we can learn so many things from. You could actually break this particular chapter up into about four different or individual messages of things that happen. But I want to sort of give you an overall view. And I want you to start in chapter 17. I want you to come down, if you will, please, to verse number 2. And Brother Larry's going to pray here in just a minute. And then I'm going to try to talk to you just a little bit about when the brook dries up. And uh, try to give you an idea that sometimes that requires you to make an effort to find where the Lord wants you to go next. That doesn't necessarily mean a geographical location. It means that many of us are stuck where we've been stuck for a number of years. He says to you very clearly over in the book of Acts, and it's repeated uh, seven times throughout your, excuse me, six times throughout your Bible, that they've become dull of hearing. Meaning that it's not that they can't hear, it just doesn't resonate anymore. It's just the same thing, the mundane thing, the routine thing, and, and that kind of thing. And so the Lord said they're dull of hearing, and He warns you against it. He warns you. He said, you've got to be careful. You say, what happened? You get calluses on your ears, and you've heard it. You've heard it a bunch of times. And that winds up leaving you stuck in that place. And the Lord said, you know what? It's time for you to grow up a little bit. It's time for you to move on. So we're not talking about a geographical location always. I'm just going to use it as a text. Look at verse 2. The word of the Lord came unto him, meaning Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded thee the ravens to feed thee there. And he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and he dwelt by the brook Cherith, and that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank by the brook, and he was completely comfortable and very happy, and enjoyed being by himself, and had a great time. He became a reclusive individual, and said, you know what, I kind of like this uh, life that I'm living, God taking care of me, and me not having to do anything. That's the living Bible. <laughs> and it came to pass that the Lord said, Get off your dead behind. It's time for you to get busy and do something. <laughs> the brook dried up. Sometimes what the Lord has to do is remove the comforts out of your life in order to get you to put, go where He needs you to go. The issue would be is, is, would you be willing to let Him move the comforts out of your life? Brother Larry, would you pray and ask the Lord to help us? Lord Jesus, and Lord, the, the basis of everything we've heard from, our, from Brother Green and uh, from our pastor already from the singing, Lord, is about obedience, Lord. So I wonder this morning, have we already started with an examination of ourselves, uh, God, for some help and direction today. Thank you for this, this place, this church, yes. this body of believers. Lord, the doors being opened here and all that you've provided from the shed blood and salvation, God, to the, to the pews. 
we find ourselves here. We thank you for the, the faces, God, that we've seen this morning that, that, that have been away from us, God, and, and what a joy that is that, we, that they've come back and, and we're able to fellowship with them and them join us in fellowship. But more importantly, Lord, spiritually, we need your help for your man this morning as he preaches to us. And I pray as the word comes forth, God, that that direction that we need will be given to us through him. Might you use him one more time. Might you rest upon him with great power and might and open his mouth boldly, God. May your word have free courses as, our, as the book, as the word of God says, God, as our brother Paul, uh, I believe, mentioned. God, that it might flow freely. Yes. Realizing, Lord, it flowing, God, it's got to have a place to land in life. So I pray our hearts would be prepared, if, if not before so, Lord, even now. Our Lord, would be plowed open, uh, even harrowed to the point, God, that it would be a fertile place. God, I pray you'd use Him. Use Your Word. We give You all the glory for what's said and done now. Thank You for the good singing and the talents that are used for Your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Can be seated. You want to write down maybe on Wednesday, Brother Mike McCullough is going in for a hip surgery, hip replacement. So you'd be praying for him about that. And before I forget it, I want to say a special thank you to the Sunday school teachers. Uh, you folks continue year after year and after year to amaze me at doing the things that you do. And I appreciate it. And I don't announce it enough. And the nursery workers and all the men showing up to move stuff around to get the carpets cleaned and opening the building and getting the carpets clean and putting everything back in here and leading the music and guys teaching classes over in the trailer. Uh, all the stuff that gets done around here that doesn't ever get a whole lot of recognition. I appreciate you. You deserve to be recognized and I, I'm, uh, maybe I need to do better at that. And I know you're not doing it for that, but it doesn't hurt every now and then to let you know it doesn't go unnoticed. I just don't always make it public, but I appreciate it. There's no way something that's going on around here, as much as going on, that it can be done by one or two individuals. It requires a combination of everybody jumping in and helping, and I really appreciate it from the specials all the way down. Now, I come to this passage here, and the reason that I come to the passage is the Lord warns you. I'd said six times. It is seven times. I checked my notes while Brother Larry was praying. And one of the things that the Lord is big on after you're saved is your fellowship with Him. And he wants to walk with you and he wants to talk with you. But the thing that you do when you come to the garden alone uh, and the Bible says, while the dew is still on the roses and he says, and he walks with me and talks with me. But too often, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to us talking to the Lord, it's us doing all the talking. We don't be quiet long enough for him to get a word in edgewise. We talk walking and talking. We're walking with the Lord. Lord, I need this and I need that and I need you to do this and I need you to do that and I need you to take care of this and I need you to take care of that. You don't want to give him a chance and an opportunity to even say, how are you doing? How's things going? Uh, is everything going okay? How do you like what I did for you yesterday? Do you appreciate being able to get up? Did you, are you glad you got up and your feet didn't play snack crackle pop with you? Are you glad you got over the flu? Are you glad you're not this and the that and the other? Glad you didn't get killed in a car wreck? Do you have anything to say other than, you know, you just got to tell me your laundry list? of things. You say, what happens? I remember going with the old preacher one time. I've told the story, but it definitely bears repeating. Uh, we're going to go see uh, about four. I think there was four. It might have been five there. I, I can't remember, but four of them. But there were at least four guys that were there that had asked during a prison run one time if they could have uh, uh, dinner with us before we went to the evening meeting. And the preacher said, set it up. And so I set it up. And we're on the way over there. And he said, now I'd like for you to go. But he said, I want you to remember something. And I said, yes, sir, what's that? And he said, remember two ears and one mouth. 
Now you say, well, I wouldn't talk to you. Well, he, he had the right to talk to me that way. He knew what was going on. You get nervous sometimes. You start shooting your mouth off and you don't get an opportunity to get a word in edgewise. Some of you can talk for an hour and never take a breath. And then you'll accuse the other person of never saying anything. Well, they can't. <laughs> You're talking all the time. God bless you. That's why the Bible teaches that a woman has to study to be quiet. It's a hard thing for you to do. The worst thing for a woman in the world is not losing a pair of shoes. It's dead air. She feels it's incumbent to feel that air. Should I just quit right now? <laughs> well, you're the bride of Christ. When you're walking with him, don't you have a tendency to be a chatterbox? I'm not just talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your relationship to him. And so we get ready to go over there. And he said, sitting at that table is going to probably be around 100 to 125 years worth of experience that's at that table. And if you'll be quiet and listen, you might learn something that'll save you from a lot of pain and a lot of agony. And you might actually learn something that'll save you 10 years of lifetime in the ministry to learn something they learned. You can learn from their mistake. So just remember that. I never forgot that. I didn't say I always put it in practice, but I never forgot that. I know that when it comes to the walking with the Lord. I have a bad habit. I'm, I'm kind of like Balaam. Once I get my mind made up, I'm headed to do what I want to do. I doesn't care what the Lord said. It doesn't care if I'm disobedient. Balaam got up and saddled up his donkey. You remember the story. Numbers uh, 21, 22 there. You should be at least that far in your Bible reading by now if you're reading through the Bible uh, this year. If you made a... Uh, a promise that you're going to read your Bible through in a year. I went back and counted and I verified this. Do you realize if you read five pages in your Bible, in a regular print Bible, if you read five pages, you can read through it in a year? That's the front and back of two pages and the front of one page. That's a total of five pages. If you read that every day, you'll get through it in a year. And you don't have time to do that? Three pages in the Bible? You can't read three pages in one day. You read more text than that. You read more emails than that. You spend more time watching a television show. I don't know how, listen, even if you're a slow reader, if you're a slow reader, how long does it take you to read three pages? Well, that's how the Lord talks to you, isn't it? I don't matter. Make no difference, man. I don't care how the Lord talks to me. I'll decide how the Lord talks to me. Yeah, but you want him to talk to you when you pray. I'm not getting on to you just for you to consider some things to think about. Are you even interested in what the Lord said? He tells Balaam what he's supposed to do. And Balaam says, you know, fine and dandy. He gets up and figures his way around it. The Lord didn't, they didn't come get him. That's what they were supposed to do. He decided he'd go out and meet him. He gets on his donkey and he starts out and he heads almost to the vineyard right there. And the donkey, the Bible says, she saw the angel of the Lord. He's riding the female donkey there. She saw and turned aside. And what is his response to it? He knocked a tar out of her. And he beat her until he got her back on the track again. And they started down the way. And the Bible said they came into a place where there's a wall on this side and a wall on this side. And the angel of the Lord crops up right there with his sword drawn, getting ready to knock his head off. And the donkey sees him again. And she brushes up against the wall and, and tries to get away from him and that kind of a thing. And he beats the tar out of her again. And then the third time, you're going through a little eye of a needle there, like in that place in Rock City, a little place where a heavyset person can't get through. It's a little, uh, uh, they used to call it, they call it eye of a needle now, they used to call it the fat man squeeze. They don't call it that anymore. I'm sure there's reasons for that for some reason, but at any rate, 
and, and you get into that narrow spot there and the Bible says that she moved until she crushed his foot and she just laid down underneath him. And he got off and he just started beating the tar out of her. And the Bible says the Lord loosed the donkey's mouth. And she said, what are you beating me for? Haven't I always been your donkey? He said, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. And she said, haven't I always been obedient to you? Maybe there's a good reason that I've turned aside three different times now. Maybe there's in your best interest, but you're so interested. Your mind is so made up to do what you want to do. You don't care what anybody says. You're going to, bound to be bound to do it even if it costs you your life. And then all of a sudden, the Lord takes the scales off of his eyes and he looks at that thing and realizes there's an angel there fixing to kill him. And then he begins to back off and now he's gotten caught. And then he says, oh, okay, I guess you didn't want me to go. There's not a place in there where he apologizes for beating the donkey. He never even admits that he shouldn't have gone. He just said, well, I guess if you don't want me to go. How many times, you heard Brother Mitch say it, how many times has the Lord started you down the road and along the way he's interrupted it and said to you, slow down now, slow down now, you better stop, you better stop, hold on, hold on. And you said, man, I've already made up my mind. I've said it, Mama, I'm going, this is what I'm going to do no matter what. And then all of a sudden things fall apart and you completely ignore it. You say, what is that? That's an illustration of dullness of hearing. Yes. Gotten where you can only hear from God what you want to hear from God. Just the positive things. I understand that we tend to be relatively negative about things. I'm not saying that life isn't somewhat negative. But shouldn't we have the right balance? Isn't a false balance an abomination to the, to, to the Lord? Could I ask you this? Do you have as many positive things come out of your mouth as you do negative? I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about telling somebody something for the benefit of getting something out of it and some kind of bait and switch stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do you work as hard at being positive as you do at being negative? I mean, the Lord gives you a lot of things without saying those things to you. He gave you your eyesight. He gave you your ability to get here. You wouldn't be in church if the Holy Spirit didn't get you up and get you out this morning. God helped you to be able to get here. Don't take credit for that like it's something you're special. God gave you that ability. Your desire, your thirst after God is because He's living inside you. Your flesh doesn't want anything to do with that. Paul said, I know that in me that's in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? It's no good in my flesh. But you know what? He gave you a lot of things. Have you ever paused to think? How about you just tell the Lord how good He's been to you for a change? I appreciate it, Lord. Not that you're sinless. Not that you're perfect. Not that you don't have trouble and trials and persecutions and problems and those kind of things. But when was the last time before you ran your laundry list that you just said, You know, Lord, you've been good to me to even speak to me at all. Amen. I dealt with a, a young lady yesterday and she's struggling with a couple of things and as she got to talking about what the Lord would have her to do about this and about that and all I said to her in one point in the conversation I said sister sometimes you have to be quiet and listen to what he's trying to tell you instead of trying to get his will to line up with your wishes she said well, I never really thought about that. I said, well, you keep telling me the will of God, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. And I said, it's funny. The will of God seems to line up with your wishes. It's got to line up with the Bible. And it doesn't always line up with your wishes. 
Sometimes you'll pray like the Apostle Paul prayed. He besought the Lord three times and he said, take this thorn of my flesh out. It's getting in the way. I'm a preacher. I need to have my eyesight. I need to have whatever the, the, the thorn was. I don't know for sure, but it looks that way. Lord, I'd be better off without it. And if you'd get rid of this thing, I could really get something done. And I need for you to get this out of the way. And the Lord said, no. I want you to have that thorn from now on until I take you to glory out in Timothy. My grace is sufficient for thee. For in your weakness I'm made strong. Could you hear that this morning? I mean, if God said that to you this morning, whatever it is that's burdened your heart so much and those kind of things just breaking your heart and tearing you slap out of the frame. I mean, you know, wanting to get the one that got you or wanting to get the prodigal out of the, prom, out of the pig pen out there or you want somebody to do this or do that or get the promotion, whatever it might be. And if you could just get that, boy, you'd just be so happy and everything would be fine. And the Lord keeps slowing you down and keeps throwing a barricade in the way and keeps stopping you and keeps telling you. And instead of you listening to what God's saying and redirecting, your steps, you know what you say? I made up my mind. Your donkey's talking and you're not paying any attention. Because he's not telling you what your wishes are. He's telling you what's best for you. In this passage here, he tells Elijah to go out there and preach. He preaches, I think you have to count them, 25 words or so there he preaches. Ain't going to rain no more and there's not going to be any dew or rain come until I say so. And then the Lord said, go over there and hide by the brook Cherith and I'm going to take care of you. There's going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be no water there. There's going to be no bread or nothing, but don't worry about it. I'll have the birds go over there and pick food up for you and bring you both flesh and bread every day and fresh water right out of a spring. Man, that's a pretty good deal. How many of you have had God provide for you in a supernatural fashion and get accustomed to it and almost get to the point instead of every day you get ready to eat, whether it's a hamburger or whatever, to bow your head and say, Lord, you sure have been good to me. I'm surprised I'm even able to sit here. I'm surprised I'm able to even to sit up and to be able to eat. I mean, I had a meal the other day and I was sitting there looking at the meal laid out there talking to this preacher just this past couple of days here when I was down in South Florida preaching and I'm sitting there thinking and I said, you know something? And he said, what's that, sir? And I said, I can imagine how many people that are in a nursing home that would love to be able to taste this. I mean, not, not just, just to be here to eat it. I mean, be able to just taste it. How many would like to just be able to come to a place like this or to be able to sit up in a bed and be able to eat a meal sitting up and down? And the next thing you know, I'm kind of looking back in a minute and I'm thinking, man, God's been good to me. I can smell. I can taste. I can use my paws to cut it up. I can use my teeth to eat it with. I can wash it down with some tea there and that kind of a thing. And it just dawned on me, when was the last time you thanked God that you could eat a meal like that. Not just afford a meal like that. How good God was. I'm glad I don't have a taste for liquor and cigarettes and for dope and, and for cigars and all that. People think that's really living high on the hog and get you a Cuban cigar from Castro or whatever and to be able to puff it and that kind of a deal. I don't have any taste for that at all. But I have a tendency to like sugar. Sugar's like crack for me. It's kryptonite. Cinnamon rolls and key lime pie and ice cream and magic shell and that kind of stuff. That's manna from heaven, man. And you say, well, what is that? The Lord gave me the taste buds. You got to curb it. But the Lord gave you taste buds. Do you ever thank God? Wonder if he thanked God. Oh, here comes a bird again. Wonder what they got today. Oh, you got some fried chicken today, Elijah. 
man, that's pretty good. You must have took that out of grandma's. Must have been the church lady that gave you that, man. That, you know, certain church ladies know how to cook that stuff. You know, the, the kind that got the skin. You know the church lady. But man, can she cook chicken? It must have come out of Brother Mike's oven. Hey, you old people that we're getting ready to have this uh, se uh, junior serving seniors or whatever they call the thing up there. Us old people get to get together up there and eat. It's the prelude to going to the nursing home and being able to eat together. <laughs> Do you all go to the cafeteria and eat? Remember, you started that way in elementary school. You all go to the cafeteria and eat. Now it's a rehearsal. You're going ready. You say, what? You're old people. <laughs> you say, who's cooking? Brother Mike's cooking chicken. You ever thank the Lord you're able to taste that? All of a sudden, you know what happens? These provisions are made. These provisions are made for nearly three and a half years. It's easy to get commonplace, isn't it? Isn't it easy to take things for granted? Come on. Isn't it easy to take your marriage for granted? Take your kids for granted? Take your church for granted? Take all of the stuff that you have in your house for granted? Take your car for granted? Take gasoline for granted? Come on in, sister. Find you a spot. Somebody move over and let her be able to sit down there. But, but listen, listen to me. You ever realize, oh, Elijah's, Elijah's sitting here. He's by that brook. And every day he goes out there. The bird comes by. How about a ribeye today, Elijah? Sure appreciate it, Lord. I brought you something unusual today. It's uh, uh, pork sausage, but you can't really have that. But uh, I, I brought, what did he bring him by there? I don't know. It just says meat and bread every day, twice a day. If you were out there starving and everybody else in the entire place that you knew of at that then known world was starving to death and God was feeding you. Do you think you'd be grateful? I said if everybody else around you was starving and God was feeding you every day. Bread and meat and fresh water and butter and milk, do you think you'd be grateful or do you think you'd just take it for granted? Everybody doesn't have what you have. Not long ago, I had mentioned to you before, I, I used it when I was in Ohio last week and I was preaching up there and I used the thing about the church and I told them some things about the church and this and that and the other. And I used the illustration where Brother Jim and I went to Romania, I think four times over there we went and how those people didn't have a church and the Iron Curtain had just come down and then they were beginning to let that orthodoxy sort of step in there and the men on one side and the women on the other side and that kind of thing. And I was telling them about that and telling them about going out that night time and all the guys sitting around there in that room while we were teaching and we taught till nearly the sun came up and then beat feet back to the room where we were supposed to be and that kind of thing and she came back and she said I'm from over there you know what she said she said people in America have no idea what it's like not to have a church she said, because here it's on every corner. She said, over there, you took your life in your own hands if you decided to meet with anybody of like mind. You ever thank God for that, that you got a church? Amen. Well, church is just a place of trouble and problems and difficulties and all that kind of stuff. Hey, we're messed up as a soup sandwich, but we're still trying. What's your problem? 
But I think part of our problem is a lack of gratitude because the Lord's been feeding us in spite of ourselves, in spite of a famine in the land. The famine in the land you have to worry about is not the preaching of the Word of God. You got the Word of God in your lap. The Bible says in Amos chapter number 8, oh, 20, 21, 22, right along in there, you know what he says? He said in the last days there's a famine in the land of hearers of the Word of God, dull of hearing. God said it, that settles it. Yeah, whatever. Until you need Him. Again, I'm not getting on to you. I'm just trying to say to you, Elijah pretty well did what God told him to do. And three and a half years, I just want you to recognize, because I'm trying to point out the routine duty. Every day, he ate twice a day. He drank water out of the brook. And that's it. That's his life. Every day. You think your life's boring? No TV. No internet. No FaceTime. Twitter. Instagram. Snapchat. Whatever else is around. None of that stuff's around. It's just him and the Lord out in the wilderness and him waiting on meals every day. That's like solitary confinement without the walls. He can't go anywhere. They'll kill him. So he's just out there three and a half years every day the same thing. And what was it you were complaining about? I mean, man, our life changes this way, man. How many times did he change his clothes? He didn't go out there with a closet full of clothes. How many times he changed his shoes? How many times, I mean, he must have bathed, I guess, out there in that brook. It doesn't say. What did he do for three and a half years? The same thing every day. Do you ever pause to think about that, ladies and gentlemen? Is it any wonder that in our life sometimes the brook dries up? Maybe it's because we're just not grateful for the brook. But at any rate, when the brook dries up here, the Lord recognizes something. That until He turns off those things that are necessities for us, water and food, they're not going to get you to go to where you need to go. He said, hey, I've told a woman over there, Zarephath, I've told her to go ahead and take care of you when you show up. He's talked to a woman. He's appeared to a woman over there and said, when this old preacher shows up over here, he's going to look like something the cat drunk in. How do you think you'd look if you've been out in the wilderness for three and a half years? And he shows up over there in the thing and the woman's out there. You know what she's doing? It's in that passage. She's out there picking up sticks. She's not reading her Bible, studying and praying. You see what she's doing? She's trying to survive. She's living in a time of famine in the land. And the Lord came by in spite of the famine and said, Hey, I need you to do me a favor. Take care of this preacher when he shows up. That's faith not on Elijah's part. That's faith on her part. You say, how do you know? Well, look at the trial of her faith right there. When he comes up, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm picking up gathering sticks. And why is that? I'm going to build a fire. She gets him a cruise of water and hands him a cruise of water. He said, what are you going to build a fire for? He said, she said, I have just enough oil and enough uh, 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 meal there to make a cake, a little cake for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. That doesn't mean it's laced with cyanide or anthrax or something. It means that's going to be the last meal they have, a little cake, a little baby cat head biscuit. I'm going to get half and half. And if I know mamas the way I know mamas, it'll probably be three quarters for him and a quarter for her, just enough to keep her around. That's how mamas are. They always try to take care of. You've got eight people in a family and you've got seven pieces of, of pie there. Mama's going to be the one that'll do without it. That's just the way the thing goes. And she gets ready and she says, we're going to eat this and die. Now she just talked to the Lord, but she's a realist. God's letting the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Are you with me? Yes. 
And that little old woman comes out there still picking up sticks and that kind of thing. She gets ready to do it. And the preacher says, um, make me a cake. And she says, well, okay. He said, if you take care of me and do what God told you to do, the meal or not, the marrow of the meal won't ever run out and the oil won't ever run out. And it didn't. And made him a cake and he ate and he drank the water there. And then the Lord sends him on out there to get him ready to go preach. But something odd happens down at the bottom of that thing if you've got an old Schofield. That'll be on the bottom of the right hand page there. Look what happens. That boy died anyway. Don't you find that odd? First of all, you got a preacher that shows up and God said, take care of the preacher. She did it. Second of all, he went to her and spoke with her directly. She did exactly what she was told to do. And her boy died anyway. Now, I don't know about you. But in my mind, if I'm doing what God says, when God says, the way God says... <laughs> And I, of all things, I'm taken care of at my own expense. I'm taking care of uh, who God wants taken care of before I take care of myself, a trial of my faith. And I do that at my expense, not knowing if he's going to be uh, true to come through with a barrel of meal and the oil and stuff like that. I'm coming up there now and I've got my boy. And you know what she does? She walks up to the preacher and she know what she does? She says, have you come to call my sin to remembrance? I mean, preacher, after what I did for you? Well, ma'am, didn't you just say you were going to eat and die? Yeah, but now I got my natural needs met. The meal and the oil is there. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Preacher, how come you let my kid die? Why would God do that to me? That's hard, isn't it? You ever done that before? You ever tried your best to live for the Lord, do the things that you're supposed to do, live the best that you possibly can, try your best to live at the foot of the cross, etc., etc., and then all of a sudden some tragedy occur in your life? Is not your first response, Lord, what in the cat hair is that? I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong, and I don't deserve that to happen to somebody in my family. I mean, you know what our natural response was? You come to call my sin in the remembrance? What'd you have to take my kid for? Why don't you take me? But you know what I know, ladies and gentlemen? I know you're not going to turn that dead kid over to that preacher unless you've already turned loose of your faith in your own ability to provide for yourself. If she hadn't have been willing to give up the biscuit first, there ain't no way she would have given up that boy. Man, there is nothing like a mother's love for a kid. I've seen mothers who clearly know that their kid did wrong. You want a case, a case study on it? You look at Bundy's mother. She knew everything he did and had been told everything he did. You know what she said? Well, he was always a good boy. No, he wasn't. He was burning cats and doing all kind of other stuff. But mamas have a blind eye toward that stuff. But he was always a good boy, she said. Even after they're getting ready to, to put him to death. Well, he was just a good boy. And I just, you know, mamas always have hope for that kind of thing. Mamas have a skewed opinion. They're prejudicial when it comes to their kids. But it's still my boy. But it's still my boy. Might have done wrong, but it's still my boy, right? 
Well, guess what happens? This boy does no, no message of him. Oh, nothing he did. What did he do? Who was he? He's just the woman of Zarephath's son. Nothing else. Taking care of his mama, she doesn't have a husband. Now, buddy, her hopes for a future are dashed. After the preacher's gone, the boy's gone, she's by herself, that means she becomes a pickup for anybody that comes around. Or, because nobody wants an extra mouth to feed, she winds up dying all by herself. That's a bad way to go. I mean, if nothing else, man, I've been with some people. They didn't have anybody else in the family. They didn't even have any friends. And um, elderly lady back up in the projects years ago was uh, passing on and that kind of stuff. And I just stayed there with her. You say, well, why would you do that? I don't know. I just felt sorry that she was by herself. I just, you don't have to go by yourself. You say, what would you do? Well, she starting to slip off of there. I just put my hand right there under the sheet and held her hand. You say, well, preacher, that's just, yeah, yeah but, 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 <laughs> my aching back, man, you don't have anybody and you got to go by yourself? Well, that's the way the snow blows, you know. Well, you say that because you got somebody. Right. I know some of you got the faith of a bull. I understand that. But man, when you get ready to cross over to the other side, you hadn't been to the other side. I know you believe it and all that, but that's easy to say until you start sucking air like a fish pulled out of water. Until they done snatched all the stuff out of you and you're gasping for breath and not knowing if it's going to hurt and that kind of a deal. I mean, my goodness, man, what a, what a way to go. Well, I just believe God gives them grace. Well, oh, wait till your turn and say, hey, pray God will give you grace. <laughs> See you later, man. Shut the door. Let them go on their own. No, be, be right there with them. You say, what happened? That was their only hope. The brook dried up. Well, I took care of the preacher now and I got plenty of meal and got plenty of oil and everything's going to be good. And all of a sudden, man, the Lord dealt her a hand she never saw coming. The brook dried up. Her boy's gone. All the plans that she had made for that boy, now that the needs were met, and all the desires and all the thought, no different than Naomi, no different than Lot's wife, what do you think Lot was doing? I jokingly say she's looking back at her Tupperware, but that woman has at least two, at least two daughters that are there. She's got grandkids there. She's got son-in-laws there. I mean, maybe she turned around and that fire begins to fall and people's hair begins to burn off their head and their faces begin to melt and they begin to turn a bright cherry red and babies are screaming and paraplegics are flopping around and having a difficult time and that woman's listening to the screams of that stuff when she's running out and she's thinking, my kids are there. My kids are there. My grandkids are there. Oh my God! And she turns around and boom, just like that turns to a pillar of salt. I mean, she's a mama. And she's looking back. She's a wicked woman. I get that. I understand that. But do you realize, folks, with the ex very few exceptions, <laughs> even wicked people have feelings. I mean, I've seen them get broke down in the very end of things. I've seen them cry like little babies. I mean, some of the meanest devils you ever met in your life. But boy, when it comes time for them to meet their maker, man, they crumble like an eggshell under a giant's heel, boy. They come down like a house of cards. It's a scary thing. All of them don't go out with their teeth gritted and shaking, you know, like some of the stories you've read in the past. A lot of those people crumble. You see what happened? Her brook dried up. She lost her boy. 
He lost her hope. The preacher's going to go on. He's going to go on. He's got to go preach. <laughs> What's she going to do? She's going to be by herself. I think that's one of the most pitiful things in the entire world is not to see a, a man by himself. Men do pretty well with that. But to see an old woman by herself with no means of support, no means of being able to take care of anything, and all she is is at the mercy of other people and charity and that kind of deal, man, just have me shot. You got to go out and beg bread. You know how hard that'd be on your pride? To go out and say, could you, could you spare... A loaf of bread, a couple of eggs. You don't think that'd be hard to do? Yes, Her brook dried up. And she comes to that preacher and she's heartbroken. And in her mind, I think she had it drawn up. Well, I've done what God told me to do. I've been in fellowship with the Lord and I took care of the preacher. And it's obvious I'm doing right because I'm having my needs met and everybody else is having a famine. And just like the, the brook was there for the preacher and just like the ravens bringing the food to him, uh, the Lord's provided for me food. Everything's going to be good now. Everything's going to be wonderful. And the next thing you know, she goes in there. Okay, son, get up. It's time for us. We're going to have pancakes this morning. Come on, son, get up. It's time to get up. Need you to give me a little help here. Get the fire heated up there. Get the griddle on the fire. Mama, have the, the stuff put together here in just a minute. I just about got it mixed up. It's going to be good. I found a little bit of uh, stuff out there to make them a little sweet today. It'll take like a cinnamon roll pancake. Come on, son, get up now. Come on. God's been good to us, son. 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 And I mean just like that, boy. The brook's just as dry as cracker juice. What in the world has God done to me? And the first thing she says is, do you come to call my sin to remembrance? I admire that woman. You say, why? You know what she thinks? She thinks the first thing that she said is, is not God's a bad God or anything like that. She says, and something I did. That's real character. I know I deserve it, but why'd you have to take it out on my boy? And the preacher says in the bottom of that passage right there, notice what he says right there. He said uh, he's got a sickness in him, no breath in him and that kind of thing. You called my son to slay my son and bring it into the remembrance. And he said, give me, verse 19, thy son. Let me have him. It's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, when the sun rises and sets in that boy, and now he's gone. Why, even Mary's over there at the tomb, and you know what happens? She's begging the body of Jesus, and she's saying, I don't know where they've laid him. I don't know where they've taken him. I want you to just, to just tell me where he is. I want to take care of his body. There's an attachment there. Don't expect him to come back to life. I just want to be connected with something and hold on to him the last possible minute. I've seen him. Seen him right here, stretched out, and you leave it open, and then right before the service, one last time, and that lid comes down. They're not there, we know that. Thank the Lord for salvation, we know that. But do you ever realize, with that right there, died the plans, died the future, died all the things that were going to take place, and carrying on of the name and all that stuff, and down it comes. There's a whole lot more that dies, ladies and gentlemen, just a physical life when a child dies. Or a dream dies. 
Your future dies. You don't get what you feel like you should get. Or life is cut short because of some debilitating disease or some kind of problem that you have. And that thing comes down and it closes. And guess what happens? Well, there goes the future. Life doesn't feel much like living after that. Something like that happens, you know, we say, oh, well, get on with it, you know, get over it. Everything will be okay. You ain't going to get over something like that. You're not intended to get over something like that. You have to get on with something like that, but it's not easy to do. You say, what do you want to do? I'm amazed the woman didn't just say, I quit. Yep. You see, sometimes we come to the Lord and... He doesn't do what we expect Him to do. And then we say, you know something, Lord, if you're not going to do what I think you ought to do, I'm out of here. I'm through. I quit. And the preacher said, let me have your boy. And takes him up there and lays him on the bed. And shuts the door in private there and has a little conversation there with him. And before long, after he puts his eyes to his eyes and his mouth to his mouth and so on and so forth, the way the Lord told him to do it, he does something unusual in the passage. He prays. What do you think Elijah prayed? What would you pray if you were the prophet in that day? You don't think that prophet would be just as confused as the woman? Like, Lord, you told me to go there and she took care of me. Lord, I don't get that. Why would you do that to her? You don't think he thought that? I wonder, I put myself in that position. What would you pray? Lord, I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. What are you doing? Why'd you do that? And the old preacher gets down there and he begins to pray and he said, Lord, I sure would appreciate it. That, that woman was obedient to you and she took care of me and she's been a blessing to me. But at some point, you know what he has to do? He has to hush up and listen. Isn't that what we're talking about? He can't do all the talking. He can't be dull of hearing. God's fixing to do something supernatural and provide something supernatural. But it's a trial not just of the faith of that woman, it's a trial of the faith of that preacher. He's fixing to do a miracle. The fact that it didn't rain or anything like that, you could chalk that one up. But all of a sudden, Elijah comes in there. He's just gotten called out of Tish. He's a Tishbite. And the Lord said, my hand's on you, and I'm going to show you something supernatural here. He never tells him what he's going to do. He just lets a kid that he cares about die. And he comes in there and he says to him, he said, do you pray for the boy. Would you agree with me that that boy taught Elijah a lesson that he wouldn't have learned any other way because he knew because of the resurrection of that boy that God's hand was on him? Do you think he might have needed that before he goes over there and faces, uh, faces uh, Ahab and the 400 prophets of Baal up on the mount up there of uh, Carmel? Do you think that maybe the Lord gave him a little handful of purpose along the way there to prepare him for what was coming in the future? Amen. I think so. But Elijah didn't know it. If that little boy had known it, you know what he would have said? He would have said, well, go ahead. That'll be fine with me. Teach him a lesson. Just make sure you bring me back. <laughs> if the woman knew what that meant, she'd have understood it. But a lot of times God does things you don't know when the brook dries up. Why is he doing it? Time to move. 
Well, you know what happens in the story. I'll move on as quickly as I possibly can. You know what happens in the story. The boy comes back to life and he goes down there and says, go tell your mama. And then right after that, he runs into Ahab and they wind up on the mount there in Carmel and having the big showdown up there and the fire coming down and this and that and the other. But ladies and gentlemen, that brook dried up to begin with after he did what he was supposed to, which reminds me to say this, until the rapture happens, you don't know when the brook's going to dry up. You've got to be willing to move when the brook dries up. He might call you to Turkey. You say, why? Love the Lord, believe the book, serving in the church, nursing home ministry, raising his kids. Kids are in school, doing right. One graduated, one two second year in. A couple other good boys, good wife, doing everything. Got a good job, providing for his own, going to church, faithful, doing all the things God wants him to do. Turkey. Brook dried up. See, when the brook dries up, it's not just a matter of not getting the provision, ladies and gentlemen. It means that, you know what, it may be time to do. It may be time for you to move. Amen. When's the last time the Lord dealt with you about the amount of time you spend reading the Bible? When's the last time? Are you dull of hearing there? You read three pages, could you read four? You prayed five minutes, can you pray ten? You went to church three times in a month. Could you go six? Say so what happens? Brook dries up. You've gotten comfortable where you are. The Lord's providing for you the where, where you are. Sometimes you know what the Lord has to do? He has to cut that stuff off to make you realize whose provision it is. Genesis 22 and I'm done. You know the passage. The Lord sometimes warns us when we're drifting, when we're doubting, when we are getting ready to depart. We're getting ready to get out. Sometimes we blame other people for it and we got all kind of reasons for doing it and usually they're justifiable reasons and that kind of thing. But there's no justification for not doing what God wants you to do. Would you agree? Amen. Now I want to ask you a question. Look in Genesis chapter number 22 and you're familiar with the story. This is Abraham and Isaac. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Do you see that? Behold, here I am. Abraham's still listening to God, even though he hadn't talked to him in a while. If your donkey talks, if God were to speak to you today and ask you to do something unusual that doesn't fit the mold of everybody else, would you be willing to do it? All he said was, here I am. Look in verse 3. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took the two young men with Isaac his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place which God told him. Would you be willing to do that? God told him to sacrifice his kid. I'm going to make a point in just a minute. Look in verse number 9. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar uh, uh, upon the wood. He's following God's orders. It's fixing to cost him the most precious thing in the world. You don't think Abraham is thinking maybe the Lord's lost his mind? I know what it says in Hebrews 11 about Abraham had the faith and all that stuff. You're fixing to really come push to shove here. 
You know what he's saying to him? Abraham, it's time for a change. That boy's old enough now. It's time for you to make a change, Abraham. It's time for you to make a move, Abraham. I, I got to do something different with you, Abraham, about that boy. Yeah, Lord, the one you gave me, the one you said to be the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. That boy, Isaac. Yeah, that boy right there. I've changed my plan, Abraham. I'm going to want you to bring him up there and put him on an altar and slay him for me. You don't think that brook went dry, that well went dry right there? You don't think it tapped out all of a sudden? I guarantee you he couldn't spit cotton. Amen. And he says, well, Lord, okay. And he gets up there. I bet you that was the longest journey anybody ever taken in three days. And he finally gets up there and you'll see the rest of the passage that's in there in verses 11 and 12. And he gets ready and he raises up that knife and he is getting ready to plunge it in his heart. You say, why? The brook dried up and God said, there's something between me and you, son. You appreciate the provision, but you used to love the provider. You appreciate the provision, Elijah but you used to love the one that provided it. You appreciate the provision, ma'am, woman of Zarephath, but you used to love the one that provided it. And he gets ready for that downstroke to come and tears are running down his face, mingled with sweat and probably with mucus and stuff. And he's crying and his son's laying there and I'm sure his son's probably, uh, uh, I would just say, quite anxious at the time. You're bound up there waiting for the, the fires over here getting ready to be lit under you and daddy's getting ready to slit your throat and your blood's going to... and you're just going to lay there? That sounds like something out of a horror film. Amen. And he starts down and the Lord stops him right before that blow strikes. And the Lord said, now I know who's number one. Now I know... Not that you love me. Now I know that what? You read it in the passage. What does it say? You fear me. This is the kind of fear, ladies and gentlemen, that cause you not to want to get away from him. Not the kind of fear where you run from him. It's the kind of fear where you don't want to leave him. Now I know you fear me. You'd rather have fellowship with me and whatever you think is going to be provided by that boy, you're trusting me and not that. I'm not saying go out there and do that with your kid. I am saying that most of us have some Isaacs in our life. Amen. And sometimes the Lord said, I'm wore out with the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and the supposition. I've had enough. And the brook dries up and the Lord says, time to move on now. Amen. Let's go, move on. Put him on the altar. He don't always give them back. You say, why? Some things need to be burned up. But if you're not careful, you'll make a God out of those things. And you'll fall more in love with those things than you are in the Lord. And then you know what will happen before long? Your fellowship with the Lord will not be what it was. And you'll start thinking that the only thing that you have to worship God for is what He provided for you. And you'll get tired of the fact that He's trying to talk to you. And you get dull of hearing when you get that way. It blocks your ability. You have what's called auditory exclusion. And you can't hear Him when He talks. And you become dull because you got an Isaac in your life. 
something God gave you, something God intended for His glory, but that thing has become predominant and preeminent in your life. And the Lord said, uh, time to move on now. Let's get things back in the right order. Sometimes it's friendship. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's reputation. You say, what? The Lord's talking. The record of him talking to that woman one time provide for that preacher. He doesn't talk. The child goes. Preacher, can you help me? Give me the child. What are you going to do with him? Let me have him. You're never going to do that, ladies and gentlemen, unless you're willing to give up the biscuit. The Lord don't ask you for the Isaac right off the bat. You go all the way back a few years before in Genesis 15. You know what he's got him? He's got him offering there a lamb, a ram, a he goat, and a turtle dove and a pigeon. He's setting him up for what's coming in Genesis 22. God doesn't ask you for that right off the bat. But I bet if you retrace your steps, I bet God's tried to tell you. Sometimes you know what it'll be? It'll be your time. That's become yours now. You're grateful you got saved and appreciate it. But now you've got time to serve the Lord like you used to. I mean, if God called you before you got busy, you know, you'd have had time to do that. But now time can become an Isaac in a hurry. And now all of a sudden the Lord said, hey, brook dried up now. Come on. Let's go to the next step in faith. Every time you watch Elijah, he steps up and he steps up. And he steps up, including Juniper Junction. God keeps putting him to the trial and putting him to the trial and putting him to the trial. What happened with Abraham? The Lord gave him his kid back and said, there's a ram over there. Because you got me first. The old preacher said in Ecclesiastes that the end of the whole matter is fear God and keep the commandments. Well, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm closing. Do you fear him? I don't know. I can't tell if you do. Do you fear him? If he asks you for Isaac this morning, your career, your reputation, your what, whatever, your attitude, whatever it is he asks for. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the name of your Isaac is. It can be bitterness. It can be grief. It can be anger. It can be you want justice. Any number of things. If he were to ask you for it this morning, do you fear him? Say, Lord, I fear you. I'm trusting you. If you're asking for it, I'm giving it to you because I fear you. And I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to get caught in that box. I'm going to do what you tell me to do, Lord, because I fear you. And you're laying there with the sticks on the altar and the stones are built up. And you bind up that thing so it can't get away from you. And the Lord said, stick the Word of God in it. Hebrews 4.12 and cut it up and let me have it. Brook dried up. Well, if you stay right there with it, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die in the wilderness. If you don't put that thing on the altar, you know what's going to happen? You're stagnated. You're going to get stuck right where you are and you're never going to continue to grow. 
because you've made a decision. You're not going to give it up. I'm staying by the brook. It provided for me before. I'm staying by the brook. I'm going to wait for it to start bubbling. It's going to bubble one day. It bubbled before. I'm sure it's going to bubble again. I'm positive it's going to bubble again. It's going to bubble. I'm waiting for it to bubble. I'm waiting for the birds to come. There's one in the distance. It's a bird. I bet you he's going to have something for me. And the bird comes and no food. And the bird comes and no food. And drier and drier and drier the brook becomes until all of a sudden you're too weak to get up from the brook. Drain the life out of you. God said, move. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I'm away from the people. I'm away from the threats. I'm away from the anxiety and the anger and the frustration, the fear. I'm away from that, Lord. I like it here. What do I need? The Lord said, get up, boy. You're going to die if you stay here. And some of you Christians, I hate to say this, you're saved, born again, glory to God, praise the Lord, going to heaven when you die, praise the Lord for that. that. I'm glad that you are, but you know what's going to happen in your Christian life? Your Christian life is going to shrivel up and you're just going to become like an old prune. And then before long, everything that you see and everything you talk about comes out of that well of bitterness because it's dry. Preacher, what do I do? You put it on the altar and smoke it. Let the Lord have it. I can't force you to do it. I can tell you the truth in it. And I can tell you every great preacher in that Bible and every great person in that Bible that did it, they always came out ahead of it, but it requires the epitome of faith. Lord, everything I got belongs to you. My health, my wealth, my family... You take my wife, you take my life, you take my kids, it belongs to you. You got an Isaac, don't you? Because now you're comfortable by the brook. You don't want the Lord to make you uncomfortable and make you have to move. Father, I pray that this morning as we come to a close of this service that you might help us to recognize we have become dull of hearing when it comes to you trying to orchestrate and control our lives. And pray, Heavenly Father, that you might help us in a way that only you can. These matters are difficult and help us to take a review of our own personal life and to recognize, Lord, that we have a tendency, a propensity to fall in love with the provisions and fall out of love with the one that's provided it. I pray, God, now that you might move, you might help the folks that have already moved, but that you might help other folks that have a decision that they need to make, that you would help them to make the decision in favor of you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.